Father, we thank You for the opportunity to open Your Word. God, I know that as we come to this point in our service, that there are distractions that will abound. God, our minds and our hearts will be drawn from You in these moments. But I pray, Lord, that You would keep us fixated, not on a preacher, not on the failing and flawed words of an insufficient servant, but on Your holy Word. God, that You would speak to us this morning. That You would teach us from Your very Word. God, thank You for the way that You love us. Thank You, God, that You are willing to speak through sinful individuals. Lord, thank You. Spirit, thank You that You move through these words to touch hearts, to change lives. And God, this morning I know that I am a sinner and that I need to be convicted and challenged. Lord, I pray You would do that for all of us this morning. We are all sinners who have all fallen short of Your glorious standard. We need to be convicted of our sin. But Lord, Your Word is also sufficient to comfort us and encourage us all the while. Father, would You accomplish all these purposes by Your Spirit through Your Word? This morning, we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you still have your Bible with you, I encourage you to take that Bible and turn with me once again to the book of Exodus. We'll be in chapter 14 this morning. We'll also be reading once again from Exodus 14 verses 1 through 14. So we'll be looking once again at the book of Exodus Chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. As Jake said earlier, feel free to follow along on your phone, on your iPad, or whatever digital device you may have. Feel free to follow along on the screens. But there is something special about having the text in a book in front of you. So if you want to borrow a Bible from the back of the pew, or if you do not have one of these Bibles that's physical that you could touch and turn and smell the pages, feel free to take one with you, and we'll put it back before next week. That'll be our gift to you. However you are accessing the Word of God, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's Holy Word. So we look together now at Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. The Word of the Lord says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly the egyptians 
pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihaharoth in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Folks, if you will remember, we are kind of zeroing in and slowing down here in Exodus 14 because of the significance of the events that are unfolding. And so as we reach Exodus 14, many of the messages that we are going through have been very heavily influenced and flavored by a book by the man Robert J. Morgan called The Red Sea Rules. This is an incredible book, especially if you're going through a difficult time in life. I strongly encourage that you get a copy of this book and read through it. There are wonderful biblical principles that it draws all from Exodus 14. But in reading that book, it's hard for me to get through Exodus 14 without those principles jumping off the page at me just from the text. And so we've kind of been walking through the principles that Exodus 14 teaches us, even in these short verses. So if you'll remember a few weeks back, we talked about how God means for you to be where you are. So if you are the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, God intends for you to be there. Everything that happens to us in life, every situation in which we find ourselves... God either allowed that to take place in our lives or intentionally directed us to that point. Remember how we focused in and specifically God says, I want you to go here. I want you to camp there between this place and this place and that place. I even want you facing that way towards the sea. God intentionally hemmed in the people of Israel so that they had a sea in front of them Wilderness to their left and right and the armies of Pharaoh coming up behind them. He intentionally led them to that cul-de-sac. Then last week we noticed how God declares he will get glory over Pharaoh. That Pharaoh, whether he wants to or not, will bring glory to the Lord. Because God is going to use Pharaoh to glorify his own name. God is going to use this situation in Israel to glorify his name. And something that happens to me and to you, and to all of us, is that when difficulty arrives, or when extreme comfort arrives, we find ourselves more concerned with our relief, with our comfort, with our convenience, with our success, with our prosperity, than we are concerned with God's glory. And so what Exodus challenges us to do is to be more concerned with glorifying God than we are about our own relief or success or prosperity, or wealth, or comfort, or convenience. This morning, 
we find the Israelites doing something that you and I do every single day. The Israelites fall into utter panic and they lose focus on God and instead they focus on Pharaoh's army approaching from the rear. They should acknowledge that Pharaoh is there, but focus on God. They should acknowledge that their enemy exists, acknowledge that their enemy is approaching, but keep their focus on God. Is that not true of you and I? There are so many things in this world that draw our focus away from the Lord. And we swap those two, right? Last week was about a perspective shift. Shifting our perspective so that we don't focus on our relief, we focus on God's glory. The same is true this week. Instead of focusing on God, we oftentimes focus on our enemy. Oftentimes we focus on our problem. Oftentimes we focus on what's wrong in our lives. Instead of focusing on God and acknowledging the enemy, we focus on the enemy and we acknowledge God. Well, I mean, I know God's there. Yeah, 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 I got it. I got it, preacher, because, you know, I mean, God's got this. I, I know, I know. But if we're honest with ourselves, that's kind of a side note, right? That's an acknowledgement. Yeah, God's got this, but I'm going to focus on the problem and just acknowledge that God's there. This is what Israel does in the passage that we just read. When they see Pharaoh's army coming, they freak out. They lose their cool, completely come apart, and bombard Moses, right? They're, they're not calm. They're not cool. They're not collected. They focus on the enemy, and they just maybe barely acknowledge the Lord. They only acknowledge the Lord to cry out to him. Beyond that, it's all about Pharaoh. And you know, this passage draws intentional parallels between Pharaoh and the devil. There's a lot that is similar between Pharaoh and the devil. And I know we don't like to talk about the devil, and we don't need to focus on the devil, but part of what we do is acknowledge that we have an enemy that is the devil. Christians, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you can genuinely call yourself a Christian, you believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, he lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law and the standard that God the Father set, died the death that he didn't deserve, but we deserved, and was raised from the dead three days later. You've made him your Savior and your Lord. If that is what you profess about your life, then you have an enemy. Because you belong to Jesus now, and Jesus has an enemy. And if Jesus has an enemy, and we belong to Jesus, Jesus' enemy is our enemy. And what's amazing is our enemy looks a lot like Pharaoh. Have you thought through the fact that both Pharaoh and Satan coveted God's power for themselves? Maybe you're unfamiliar, but we have nuances and, and implications and, and indirect stories that talk about Lucifer, the angel, trying to overtake the Lord and being cast out of heaven. This is where the accuser, the Satan, this is where the devil, our traditions come from around him. Because Lucifer said, I am more beautiful and powerful than God, and I will overthrow the one true living God. And so he and all of his forces were cast out of heaven, cast away from God's presence. In the same way, Pharaoh considered himself to be the son of the sun God. And so he said, when Moses approaches, just like we walked through in every one of the plagues, Moses approaches and he says, God has told me to let his people go. And Pharaoh boldly, arrogantly looks at Moses and says, ha, 
I don't even know your God's name. His, what? His, I am? What kind of name is that? You don't seem to understand. I am God in Egypt. And I will not be letting the Israelites go. It's the same struggle. Pharaoh said, he's not God, I'm God. Lucifer said, he's not God, I am God. They both coveted God's power for themselves. They both tried to set themselves up over and above God as the one true living God. Both of them failed miserably to overthrow the Lord. Lucifer was cast out of heaven. Pharaoh was utterly humiliated. The Nile was turned to blood. The locusts ate all their crops. The hail fell down and hit them. The lights got turned off. And his firstborn son was taken from him. I'm pretty sure Pharaoh lost that fight soundedly in the same way that the devil lost his attempted coup. They both are consumed by rage against the Father. Both of them assemble massive armies to assault the Almighty and his children and yet neither one of them understands how utterly defeated they are. Folks, it's, it's incredible when you look in Revelation and you see these predictions and these, these prophecies about things that will come, about Christ himself arriving on a white horse with a robe dipped in blood, with his thighs tattooed, with the everlasting, he draws a sword out of his mouth and he doesn't even swing the sword Christ himself takes this sword from his mouth and doesn't do a thing with it. You know what he does to defeat the enemy and all of his forces? The breath of his mouth and all the armies are wiped away. There's no better utterly defeated than that. He gets his sword ready. He doesn't even swing it. He just breathes on them and they're done. In the same way, Pharaoh is done. They mount these armies to overtake the Almighty, and they are utterly humiliated. Listen, this is like our enemy. Our enemy has only come to steal your joy, to kill your life, and destroy your family. Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. We have an enemy, but we don't focus on that enemy. That enemy used to have a claim on Christians. If you did not or do not believe in Christ, there is a claim that our enemy has over you. Much like Pharaoh used to own the Israelites. I'm not talking about indentured servitude. I'm talking about the same way that I say I own this Bible. I own this pen. Pharaoh looked at the Israelites and said, I own them. They were his possession, and yet now they have been freed, and Pharaoh desperately wants them back. Can you imagine the situation when Pharaoh wakes up, and he goes into the kitchen, and the Israelite slave that used to make his coffee just right, you know, and he, he made the latte with the milk and the soy in it, and made the little pretty leaf thing on the top of it with the way he poured it. Y'all have seen those videos online. Don't pretend like you haven't. This is perfect coffee for Pharaoh. He goes in there, and the pot's not even brewing. What's going on around here? Well, Pharaoh, you, you, you let the slaves go. He goes and he sits down at the breakfast table and there's no perfectly cooked omelet with peppers and onions and ham and, and bacon and all of his favorite fixings on it folded just right to this golden brown and yellow color. And he sits down, he picks up his fork and his knife and goes, where's my omelet? Well, Pharaoh, you, uh, you let the slave go that was the omelet maker. Um, and we don't know what to do. Uh, we, we ain't never made an omelet before, so we don't know what's going on. Everything in Pharaoh's life is falling apart because the slaves he owned are now free. 
and he desperately wants them back. See, the beauty of it, though, is that he can't get them back because now they are with their true owner. It's the same with Christians. When we trust in Christ, Satan no longer has any claim on our lives. There is nothing that Satan can do to snatch you out of the hand of the Lord Almighty. If you've made Jesus your Savior and your Lord, you belong to Him. Isaiah says that our names are graven are on the palm of His hand. There's no way to be snatched out of God's hand. What we forget sometimes is that there is more power in one drop of Jesus' blood than in all of Satan and all of his demons and all of his armies. There's more power in one drop of Jesus' blood, and that's the very blood that covers our sins. We are bought with a price and cannot be stolen away. If the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. And that infuriates our enemy. So we have an enemy. And I'm not talking about a co-worker. You know, I'm not talking about somebody that just is, is annoying to you. I'm talking about somebody who is seeking your life and cannot touch you. So you know what he's going to do? He's going to get into anything and everything he can get into in your life. Anywhere that he can find a foothold, that he can get some sort of a leg up, any person that he can influence to tempt you, to pull you away, to make our focus get off of the Lord and onto him, that's his strategy. He doesn't have to make us stop believing in God. He just has to make us idle. He just has to make us stagnant. What happened to the Israelites? God told them to go forward. So why, in the next few verses, he says, why are you crying out to me? Move forward. And they're like, but there's a sea there, God. And they got so focused on Pharaoh coming, they couldn't see that God was going to part the waters for them. And that's what happens with our enemy. We get so focused on him. Well, I, I, can't, I, I can't do anything. I'm, I'm not good for anything. I mean, I... I failed in this way. devil wants to remind us all the time. Our flesh wants to remind us all the time. We are caught up in these sins. And then if we can just get stagnant, he wins. If we could just go from being piping hot to lukewarm, he wins. If he could just make us be filled with anxiety and worry so that we are petrified in fear, he wins. But we forget. He can't touch us. There ain't no reason to be worried. There ain't any reason to be fearful. It reminds me of when I went jogging and running when I was like maybe a year into to living here. There was a house when I would get out in the morning. And like, I, y'all, I'm a skittish person by nature anyway, okay? My seven-year-old hides around in the house and tries to jump out and scare me. And I almost hit him every time. It's, it's bad. I just, I'm skittish by nature. But I would go jogging and there was this one house on this corner. And we, we got like a block and then I make like this figure eight. And as you're coming up on this one house on the corner... And hear me now, when I say jogging, we're not talking about like marathon runner, okay? We're not talking about a six or seven minute mile. We're talking about like a 13, 14 minute mile if, if I'm doing great. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not the gazelle running down the road. I'm just a, <laughs> my breathing and my steps are just all right there together. You know, I'm just barely chugging along. Well, as I come up to this house, there's these two incredibly vicious dogs that are intent on getting me. And protecting their property. It doesn't help that nobody in our neighborhood believes in fences. 
Nobody in our neighborhood believes in the little uh, tie-outs or anything like that. Dogs just run, roam everywhere in our neighborhood. So I bring a flashlight with me that's like a flashlight slash taser because I'm going to tase a dog. I'm telling you what, dog comes up at me, I'm, I ain't afraid to shock that dog and save my life and run away. Then I'll be running like a gazelle. You better believe that. But I got that taser with me, and I'm jogging, and I'm going, and these, these dogs are probably mad at the other dogs that were just randomly wandering around that they're not trotting. They're just walking, okay? That's how slow I'm going. You've got to understand, there's a, there's a pack of dogs now with me that I'm at the head, and they're just random stray dogs, and I'm jogging along, and these two dogs do not want those dogs or me on their property. Ain't no fence standing around this property. And y'all, they come barreling out towards me. And I mean, ah, ah, ah. I mean, it is teeth bared. They are vicious and angry. This is no exaggeration whatsoever. The people that lived there that own those dogs have since moved. There's this beautiful, lovely little basset hound there. This is totally aside from the sermon. And now when I go by there, I stop and I pet that basset hound. It's a sweet little dog. I love basset hounds. But these dogs were big old dogs. And they were bearing teeth and the ha 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 at me. And y'all, I'm, I'm jogging on. Ah! I mean, that was not, not, I jumped out of my skin. I screamed like a little girl. I ran to the other side of the road. I dropped my flashlight taser. I was toast. I'm done. These dogs are going to eat me and it's going to be in the news. Pastor mauled by vicious dogs. Bethany looking for new pastor. I mean, I just knew it. That was the headlines in the news the next day. But you know what? They ran with all their might and they said, ah! stop on a dime i mean it looked like they hit a wall because there was an electric fence underground i knew that electric fence was there i'd been by there before i knew that they had these ginormous electric shock collars on and when they got six feet within that thing it was going to go and it was going to get them and they weren't going to be able to come after me i knew i was safe i've been by there before but i forgot about that fence and in the moment okay I'm okay. Folks, that's what the Israelites did. That's what we do. We let Satan get working into our lives and we're like, oh, he's going to get me. Oh, he's going to get me. Now I'm scared. I'm worried. I don't What's going to happen? Oh, man, 2020 is just awful. What do we do? And we forget. He can't touch us. He's behind the fence. We're covered by the blood. He's got nothing. We get focused on him And then we're frozen. We were jogging along, moving great for the Lord, and now we are frozen in fear. Look at what happens to the Israelites. Turn turn back to Exodus 14 with me, okay? Exodus 14, once again. 14, verse 8. The last half of verse 8. Look with me. And he pursued, that's Pharaoh, pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out. We can't move past this word. Defiantly. Like, don't miss that the Israelites are jogging along like everything is going to be great. When they're leaving Egypt, it's like, ha! You thought you was something, Pharaoh. What's up, man? God turned the lights out on you, didn't he? Oh, that river got turned to blood. We getting out of Egypt. We getting out of Egypt. Do, Do you not see the Israelites leaving almost cocky, right? Defiantly. It doesn't say that they said, yes, Pharaoh, you've put up a good fight. And God has beaten you. And now we are gone. Fare thee well. They left defiantly. <laughs> Your son got killed. And ours didn't. And we out. That's defiantly, arrogantly, proudly. They leave. But how long do they keep that arrogance? You can't touch us. 
You see all those plagues our God did to you? You can't touch us. And then they get, and there's, all right, okay, Moses, we're going. Mo, man, you got us, bro. This is great. I love it. Okay, there's the sea. All right, we'll just go. Okay, there's some wilderness. All right, and then there's a little more wilderness. And no worries, Mo, we'll go back this way. Oh, it's Pharaoh's army. What are you doing? Moses, what are you doing? Folks, they are paralyzed in fear. They jumped because they saw the dogs coming. Look at what look at what happens in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. Look at these next words. And they feared a little bit. Oh, man, that could be bad. They feared greatly, paralyzed in fear. And listen to how bold they talked to Moses. Verse 11, they said to Moses, were the graves not good enough? What's your problem bringing us out here in the middle of nowhere to kill us? We could have just stayed slaves. At least they would have fed us and we could have lived our lives. It's over. There's no hope. They've completely abandoned the thought that God could deliver them once again. Man, but even though that's our response, this is what God is telling us through Moses to us today. Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. The Egyptians whom you see today, you will never, ever see them again. Did you catch the, the, the words that were repeated over and over again in the Scripture reading that, J, that Jake read for us? Psalm 37. Fret not yourself over evildoers. Fret not. Fret not. Four different times in those 11 verses. Fret not. It tends only to evil that fretting is an anxiety it's a worry and, and when you look up the the etymology of the word in greek and hebrew it means to burn hot and quickly like maybe setting a a, a tissue on fire <clears throat> or you know not that i've ever done this but if you were to put gasoline underneath a pile of dry leaves um once the fire gets down to the gasoline i'm told i've seen this on youtube that all of a sudden a big fireball will be created and it blows, it burns up real quick. That's the idea of fret. You burn up quickly in worry and anxiety. Not anger or rage, but you, you cause yourself to burn up in worry and anxiety. Moses is saying, hey, stop being afraid. Stand firm. Our response to the enemy is to stand firm. Our response to our flesh and our temptations is to stand firm. The Bible teaches us over and over again. Look in Daniel eleven thirty-two. Just a quick reference. Thir- verse 32 of Daniel chapter 11. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. James 4, 7 through 8 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Listen, our enemy is real. Our enemy is powerful. Look at what First Peter compares him to. First Peter chapter five, verses six through 11. The Bible says, "Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God." So that at the proper time, God may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, standing firm in faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Yes, we have an enemy, but an enemy that we are fully capable of standing firm against. He may be a lion. And listen, lion roars can be heard up to five miles away. And that's a scary roar. But it's like a lion at the zoo. He's behind that cage. Ain't nothing he could do. He can't touch you. Have you ever walked by the lion cage and been scared out of your mind? No. It's a lion, but it's behind a cage. Can't do anything to you. Folks, if you're in Christ, the same thing is true. There can be pains, there can be sorrows, there can be frustrations, but unless the Lord allows it, there is nothing that can befall you. God's grace and hand is upon His children, and He has promised that in the eternal glory with Christ, He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish those of us who believe in Him. So there's absolutely nothing to worry or be petrified in fear about. And yet that is our native response. Immediately we seem to forget about God, just maybe acknowledge that He's there and focus on whatever's going on in our life. All the while God's calling us to flip that on its head. Don't worry. Don't, don't be caught up in all this fear. Stand firm in faith. Listen, I, I just want to close out this morning with the words of Jesus in regard to this even. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 25. The word of the Lord says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. The whole thing, your life. Don't be anxious about your life. Whether you're being attacked by the devil, whether you got everything going your way, nothing going your way. Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O little of faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we do, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Straight from the words of Jesus. Don't focus on the world and acknowledge that God is there. Seek first. Focus 
first on God and His kingdom and His glory and who He is. Seek first and look first at what God has done for us. Even not for you, maybe for your friend or your church brother, church sister. When the cancer diagnosis comes in, remember all the people that God's delivered from cancer thus far. When there's not enough money to make ends meet, remember how God provided for you in the past. Don't focus on the problem. Focus on the God who has delivered you time and time and time and time again. The one who was responsible for the plagues that got you out of Egypt in the first place. Trust him that he's got a plan to take you through the Red Sea if need be. Don't focus on the problem paralyzed in worry. Seek first, focus first on the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All this other stuff will fall into place. He knows you need clothes. He knows you need food to eat. He knows. Now we've spent a lot of time talking about the enemy and talking about how powerless the enemy is against Christians, but I want to make sure that you know this morning, if you're sitting here in this place, or you're listening online, or wherever you may be, and you've never made a profession to say, I want to make Jesus Christ and accept Him as my Savior, trust that He died for me and my Lord, where I will allow Him and submit to Him and be humbled before Him, be the boss of my life. Go where He says to go. Do what He says to do. If you've never done that in a genuine sense, where your life looked different because you made that decision, I want you to know the enemy's still prowling around like a lion. And there ain't no cage between you and the enemy. The protection we have from the enemy is the blood that has bought our souls. But if you've never submitted to Christ, if you've never trusted in Him to be both your Savior and your Lord, And you're not in the zoo watching the lion cage. You're in the lion cage. And he's prowling around, seeing whom he might devour. Folks, I'm not trying to scare anybody this morning. That's just the reality of it. But maybe you are a child of God. Maybe you do trust in Jesus, and that's not your problem this morning. Maybe you're like me. You saw that dog coming, and you focused completely on that dog. You jumped out of your skin, and you were paralyzed in fear overrun with worry. Pharaoh's coming. What am I going to do? The enemy's oppressing me. What am I going to do? God is calling us this morning to not focus on the problem, but to focus on Him. And all these other things will fall into place. Whatever it may mean for you, however you need to respond this morning, will you pray with me? And we'll sing one more song and give an opportunity to respond. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, God, you you take our worries upon you. You tell us, even there in 1 Peter, to cast our cares upon you. Not to focus on the problems of this world or the difficulties in our lives, Lord, but to focus on you. To seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. To stand firm in our faith. And God, I know that even as I pray this prayer right now this morning, there's so many times that I have not stood firm. That I have been overrun with worry and fear and fret and doubt. God, would you show up once again and help our unbelief? Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. 
Don't allow us to fall into fearfulness, God, but help us to stand firm in our faith in You. Don't let us be distracted by the enemy so that we focus on Him, but help us to focus and fix our eyes on You and You alone. Because You are good and You are merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Father, would You move among us this morning that we might respond in obedience. Lord, whether that means somebody comes down and talks to Jake or myself about trusting in You and making You Savior and Lord of their life, whether that means somebody comes and requests to join the church or just asks for prayer from Jake or myself or just prays by themselves at the steps or just bows their head or bends their knee where they are, Lord. God, I pray that in these moments, Your Spirit would move. Spirit, You would hug at our hearts and draw us into a response to You. Help us to be obedient to you. We love you, Lord. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.